Well, good morning, Kensington. We'll try that again. Good morning, Kensington. Oh, good afternoon. Yeah, that's right. Okay, one more time. Good afternoon, Kensington. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we wanted to start today off fun. I invited some of my friends, some of the youth friends from Toledo, Ohio, to help lead us worship today. And so we want to, yeah. That's what we're cheering for. So we want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a, a hip song, and we just want you guys to feel free to clap, dance, and move about. Here we go. Waking up knowing there's a reason All my dreams come alive Life is for living with you I made my decision, yeah You lift me up, fill my eyes with wonder Forever young and you look This freedom's untainted with you No moment is wasted Am I living it? Do I live in it? So astounding. Love is an ocean. You can drown me. The sweet embrace of lovely taste of taste to see. I'm under grace, the place to be. It means I'll never need an umbrella. I'm cool in the cold and the hot weather. Weather never ever. Understand I'm the man in the hands of great plan to stand with faith in a life I never know to touch. It's still side but clutch but like what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? Meant to know if this is this. A life I'm a give it to give. I'm a living, I'm a living today. So what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? Yeah, this is living now. 
those guys one more time. Come on. Aaron breaking it down with a wrap. Welcome to church, guys. You can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Tyler Verrier. I am the high school director here at Clinton Township. Happy New Year's Eve. I don't know about you guys, but I am not ready for the holiday season to end. Uh, and you guys got New Year's Eve plans tonight? There's three of us having fun tonight. Okay. Noon service is usually people my age, but I'm, okay, well, moving forward, I got plans. I'm going to go hang out with some friends tonight, but I'm so thankful you guys are here. This is an exciting time of year. We had just under 7,000 people show up to our Christmas services. That's incredible, guys. Yeah. So, so cool. And I just want to thank you guys for being a part of that. It was awesome. But I have a couple things to share with you guys this morning. First is we have our new series coming up next weekend. Next Sunday, we have our new series called Crave. So why don't you guys check out this video? So like I said, Crave is the series that we're going to be jumping into over the next four weeks, starting next weekend. Chris is going to kick that off for us. But guys, I I just wanted to say, I think this is going to be one of the most practical series that we could start 2018 with. And I love it because it is practical and we're going to be able to hit the ground running with the stuff that Chris is going to be unpacking for us. We're going to have four weeks of talking about the things that we all crave, the things that society craves, and what the Bible has to say about that. So make sure you show up for that. Invite a friend. It's going to be awesome. Something else we have planned for you guys is the leadership gathering. I don't know if you guys have been before, but it is awesome. It is one of my favorite things that we do all year at Kensington. We do it twice a year. And this year's is happening on January 19th through the 20th. We'll show you a quick video about what that looks like. Lead. You can't lead if you're not hearing the voice of God. Together, there is nothing that we can't do. I really believe that God has given us a sacred trust. wants to do the work in you first and he wants you to respond so that we can go out in force together from this place good this, this is awesome yeah. so yeah so that's the leadership gathering and guys whether you believe that you're a leader or not 
I promise you this is a weekend for you. You're not going to want to miss it. Make sure you mark your calendars. Make sure you show up to that weekend. There is some seriously incredible teaching, and it, it has changed my life multiple times. Every season that we go through and do this, it has launched me into a new and fresh chapter in my life, and I want that for you guys. So make sure you show up to that. It's, it's going to be awesome. And the last thing we have, if you've been around Kensington for the holidays at all, you've heard us talk about year-end giving. And uh, you guys have been super generous, and it has been awesome to see what God's done through all of you. And we have a couple words from our founding pastor, Steve Anders. Hey, I hope you've had an amazing Christmas holiday. And I know that many of you, tons of you, have made a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington, and that some of you are still planning on it. I want you to know that today is your last day in the service and also online to make this happen. And I want you to know even more than that, that your giving and your partnership means the world to me. We have no idea how many people God is going to allow us to touch in 2018, but your giving allows us to blast into a new year. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone. I love hearing from Steve Andrews. He really means that when he says he's so thankful. He is just such a personal person. And, you know, we talk about year and giving, and we've been talking about it really for the last few weeks before Christmas. So this is the last time you're going to hear about it. But I'm, I'm excited that my giving and your giving is making a huge, huge difference in our world. And you saw that if you got that booklet that we handed out and some of the things we showed on there and the way that you've heard about us providing water for thousands of people and sex trafficking, rescuing hundreds of, of girls who have gone on to teach. It's just been an amazing part to be a part of this with you. Well, my name is Tracy Hankel. I'm your discipleship director here at the Clinton Township campus. And I'm excited to teach for you today. I get to um, substitute for Chris because he taught all of the Christmas services, if you were here, and the ones leading up to that. So he really needs some special, some time with his family. He's in Youngtown's right, Youngstown right now, just taking a break. But he will be back next week for our Crave series to kick that off, and it's going to be awesome. So, But I'm excited to talk to you today about New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions and moving forward and what does 2018 look like. We'll do that after we look at just briefly 2017, because in order to move forward, we've got to take a second to look back. And I really think, I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I think that 2017 was kind of the year of cray-cray. Like, it was just insane. Multiple hurricanes, disasters, money spent on disasters like no other. The election year was a little insane, just a little. Uh, shootings that were crazy and out of control. Social media is rife with anger and opinions and hatred. And things are happening that, like, we've never seen before. At least we think we never have. But, you know, in the middle of all that, there's hope going on because there are beautiful things happening in the middle of, like, this, the situations like this. Like, think about... If you saw any of the pictures that were on social media from the hurricanes, one of the hurricanes showed this, this bridge of people. They made a human, like, rope out of people to rescue this elderly person whose van was, like, you know, this high up in the water. And then one that really touched my heart was a picture of a soldier who happened to be at the shooting, and he covered the woman's body. Did any of you see that? And he not only covered the woman's body to protect her from the bullets, but he covered her eyes to protect her from what she was seeing. Like, that's just going one step beyond. So there, there is hope and there is beautiful, beautiful things happening in the way that God moves in through his people, even in the midst of this craziness. I think there's a, a sense that things are really divided right now. 
in our country. Like, we feel like it's never been like this before. Wouldn't you agree? Like, we are racially divided. We are politically divided. We are religiously divided. Ethnic, cultural, gender, and sexually divided. And it feels like this is the first time it's been that way. But that's not really true. It's always been like this. Even when Jesus was here, it was like this. But in the middle of it all, in the middle of this conflict, and in the middle of this unrest, in the middle, there is hope in Jesus. We are to keep our eyes focused on him. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. And maybe I love her more because I think she was actually shorter than me. Like there aren't very many, but this powerful little woman, when we say Mother Teresa, we know who she was, right? She said, if there is a lack of peace, is because we've forgotten that we belong together. We are divided over so many things because we have forgotten that we belong together. And for those of us in the room who call ourselves followers of Jesus, meaning that we have accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, we know him as the Prince of Peace. And if we don't have peace in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, why would anyone else want peace in their lives? We are to be a reflection of what that looks like. If you're new here, though, and you're exploring and you're wondering what that's all about, you are in the right place. This is the place to come and explore Christianity, to learn, to ask questions and grow. Challenge your own way of thinking about how did you come to believe what you believe. When Jesus entered into the world at Christmas time, we used the word Emmanuel. And that means God with us. When he came into the world, the world was really just like this. It was in complete chaos. If you look at his life in the Gospels, it looks just like it does right now. Complete chaos. But what's really interesting is when Jesus entered into chaos, he never gave into the chaos. Jesus entered into chaos, but he never gave into the chaos. In fact, he brought something completely different with him. That's why he was so different. That's why he changed things. That's why people didn't like him, because he was different. He entered into the chaos bringing something else. Peace and hope that only comes through God. He entered this world to remind his creation that we are better together than apart. I like that phrase, better together. Even if you don't follow Jesus, how many things would be better if we were not apart in looking at ourselves in our own little world, but we were saying, we are part of something bigger and it shouldn't look like this. We are better together. And as we set new goals and we dream about 2018, I know that if you're like me, um, maybe you have one New Year's resolution because that's all I'm willing to do. Or maybe you're a list maker and you have a whole bunch of resolutions about how you want to change yourself and how you want to make things different next year and maybe how you want to change the world. But today we're going to look at what if we didn't make a list? What if we didn't decide what it was that needed to be changed? What if we invited God into that process and we let him give us that list? And what if it wasn't even a list? What if it was just maybe a word? What would 2018 look like? Well, I'm praying that we start to desire to be God's people who can enter into the chaos and not give into the chaos. And that will start with change. And that will start with how we look at 2018. So right now I want you to watch this really unique unique way that Cody Wilson brings us a spoken word and challenges us about 2018. Watch this. As we look back on 2017, what do we see? What are the memories that it will leave? What will it be remembered for? That new funny meme or maybe something more? The year of the inauguration, did your team win? 
Are we keeping score? Are we fighting for love or starting a war? 2017, the year of the walls. Because if you don't think like me, talk like me, or walk like me, stay on your side. I've made up my mind and I'm more comfortable if you don't cross my line. Just check the Facebook wall we look at every day. I see posts laced with hate and demonstrations to retaliate. Because we love to prove that you're wrong and we think this is what it looks like to be really strong. Posting from behind a screen so you know people will know what I mean. Making names into numbers and pretending like we care. Because I posted to create awareness. I click share. But when was the last time we took the time to stare at pain in the face of the hurting? Took the time to see the humanity in the image of God and the people we pass? Not even saying hi because we have to complete our task. And it's so easy to ask, well, how did we get here? But each choice, good or bad, starts with the person in the mirror deciding what will I live for? Will my life be used to build or destroy? What kingdom will I advance more? It all starts with the decisions that I make. Will I choose to love or demonstrate hate? And if 2017 was the year of the walls, then let 2018 be the year they all fall. Let our New Year's resolution be a revolution that screams, we choose love. Flicker, flicker, and the light breaks into the night. Hope on the horizon, a reason to fight. Darkness cowers at the light of Jesus Christ. This light that's flickering is starting to spread. A spark that's marked by people who become love. Living stones, building blocks of light, illuminating the earth with the good news of Christ. Unity, peace, and love. The weapons of our warfare, bullets that declare we actually care. We're not just stepping into the future. We're intentionally creating a new world. Each good deed, a building block that paints a new mural. There's no walls in heaven, and we declare there shouldn't be any here. So we stop to hear the voice of those in pain, listening to the healer's stories and remembering their names. And this spark becomes a fire and this fire becomes a flame from the ash rises beauty by the power of Jesus' name. So it's important to remember change starts with me. So ask as we look to 2018 who will I be? What is the legacy that I will leave? Will I build a better future than the present I'm in or with each personal choice advance destruction? Because the truth is, if I wanna see a better world, it starts with me. So in 2018, ask, who will I be? It's pretty cool, isn't it? I bet you that each of you that were listening, something different stood out to each one of you about what that video, what he spoke, right? I'm going to share with you what, I, what stood out to me, and I'm going to do it just like him, because I've been practicing. <laughs> Who will I be? What is the legacy I will leave? Will I leave a better future than was handed to me? Who will I be? <laughs> That's a new hat. Put on backwards. <laughs> Some cool gloves. Well, really, I think, I think it sets up our day perfectly that we look at the world around us and we know that we want it to be different and we want it to be different, but we got to look in the mirror and we got to start with us. And we want to challenge your thinking to say, where are you going to get those ideas about how to do things differently? I think that words are powerful and I'm excited that today we're going to talk about a word, even one word that God could give you to look at your world and change it, change how you see yourself. Change how you move in the world. Change what your 2018 looks like.
We often talk about at Kensington, we use the, word, the phrase, words create worlds. The words that we hear, the words that we use, the voices that we hear around us impact our lives. And my hope today is that you make a decision that shapes the direction of your next season, that impacts the world around you, that you'll decide whose volume to turn up, who you listen to, and whose volume to turn down, who you don't want to listen to anymore. Whose words you'll live by and how they will impact the two, year 2018 and beyond. Well, let me start by praying for today, because that's always the best way to start. Father God, we just pray that today, it's not my words that anyone hears, Lord, but it's your words. We're talking about words today and how powerful they are and how they can build us up or tear us down. And how you, God, are a God who can speak to us through words. And I pray that each person here would hear from you today in one way or another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you think about the power of words, think about power, think about positive words. We all know we love positive words, right? They build us up. They make us feel good. This week I received a lot of positive words. It was so great. God moved people to send me emails or text messages and say, hey, you know, I'm praying for you while you prepare for the message. And I'm thinking about you while you prepare for the message. You're going to do great. You know, encouragement. We love those. But unfortunately, we also get negative words, and those are the ones that can stick with us, and those are the ones that can tear us down, and they influence us, and they create who we are. So I think about when I was thinking, well, what negative word would I share with, with everyone today? And I thought, I thought about all the way back to high school. This is the first thought that came to mind. I'm not going to tell you how long ago, but it was a while. And it might surprise some of you to know, but not people who know me, that I was a really big nerd in high school. So if you know me, you know that I was a big nerd, and that doesn't come as a surprise to you. And what I mean by that is I just was really socially awkward. I was quiet. I was insecure. I didn't know how to talk to people, so I spent a lot of time with the staff and faculty. In fact, I got made fun of by my own family that I spent my summers reorganizing the chemistry lab. That's how much I enjoyed being with my teachers rather than other people because I just felt uncomfortable and I didn't fit in. So the teachers had a lot of influence over me and what I thought about myself. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're in high school, especially girls, we get caught up. And we love dolphins and we love whales. And I was really into science. I decided to put together and I decided I want to be a marine biologist. And so I decided who would I go to to talk to about, but somebody that I look up to, somebody who influences my life. So I went and talked to Mrs. V, my honors biology teacher. And I said, oh, you know, I decided what I want to be. This was my senior year. I want to be a marine biologist. And she went, hmm. That might not be a good choice for you. I don't really think that you could handle that. I'm in honors biology. But what she said was so impactful to me, it tore me right down. I was like, oh, I guess I can't do it. Somebody else shared with me today during, after the service that he really felt, he was told that he could have been, a, he wanted to be a lawyer, but they told him he couldn't, didn't have the right study habits for it. Those negative words can tear us down. But you know what? I listened to her because she was somebody that I looked up to. And it was really surprising to me when I got my graduate, get your report card at graduation, it tells you where you are in the scheme of things, where you rank. And I was 16th out of 440 students. I could have done it. There's no way I couldn't have done that. But I believed the negative words that were said about me, and I believed that I couldn't study and I couldn't learn. I did go on to college, but I, I chose marketing and advertising. It just wasn't what I really wanted to do. So negative words can just tear us down. And we believe that if words can create worlds, those words impact our decision-making. Those words impact the direction of our lives. 
the way that we respond in tense situations are impacted by the words that we hear. It impacts our identity, who we think we are, and the dreams that we had or once had. And I believe that when we look at our lives, whether as a whole or looking at the past year or even just ready to look forward, we, there's, we want more joy, more love, more peace, and more what? You fill in the blank. And you know how I know you can fill in the blank? Because we always want something more. We are never satisfied with where we're at or what we have. We don't have enough love, we don't have enough peace, and we don't have enough joy. I'm sure there's something that you're longing for, and you could fill in that blank. But I think what God wants us is to have a life where we are not longing for these types of things that we are fulfilled by other people and the words that they speak over us and the things that we want. I know that he wants more for us. I know that God looks at us not with disappointment. If you don't know the Lord and you're here exploring, you might have a vision of God that he's up there just shaking his head going, hope you make it. That's not him at all. The Bible describes him to be this incredible father that wants to give blessings to his children. When we are children of God, we get to receive those blessings. And he's making that available. He wants us to have a sense of fullness. Think about that word, fullness. What does it mean to have a life that is full? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have every gizmo engagement and Batman collector figure that you ever wanted. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist him. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you have every little trinket. It doesn't mean you have the perfect house. That's not what fullness means. It's, an, it's a feeling inside. It's a position of your heart. It's the temperament of your heart. So my question is, why does it feel like we're missing that? Why does it feel like we can be stuck? We can be disappointed. We could be bored. We can be angry. We could be you fill in the blank, whatever you are right now. Is there something that we're doing, believing, or not doing that's leading to us this place where we feel like we need more and something's always missing? Have you ever thought about that, that your experience and things that happen to you and conversations that you have have led you to the place that you're at right now? If you think, well, how did I end up here? Or why isn't this turning out the way I thought it would? You can look back on past relationships, conversations, work relationships, and all of those add up to why you are here right now. Words the way we look at people, the way we interact with people. And God has a plan for that that often doesn't look like our plan for that. Often I find in conversations that people come here at Kensington and they are here because they have gotten to the bottom of the barrel and they have nowhere else to go in life. Things are falling apart and they've tried to do everything out of their own strength, their own knowledge, the things that they feel like they can do and they think, well, maybe I guess I'll come here and see what God has to say about it. He wants to be in that whole process all the time. He wants to be some, someone that we interact with. He wants us to hear from him. And if you're new and that's a new concept, it's not creepy or strange. Like, I don't mean you're going to hear an audible voice to hear from God. I mean, you're just going to know something that you never knew before. Or maybe if you're reading the Bible, a scripture will jump out and God will use that to speak to you. It's not an audible voice, but it is a way that we can hear from God. It says in the Psalms that he listens he hears, he listens, and he answers. That's so powerful to know. He is not waiting for us at the end of our lives. He wants to be involved in the here and now. He wants to influence the words that we use and how we make decisions about our lives. I think that when you think about life change happen through our relationships around us, we naturally think about maybe children and the way that we interact with them and impact them or spouses or significant others, boyfriends, people on the job that we interact with. And like... 
I know that when I was a, a mom and my kids were young, and this is the first service they're at, so I'm not even going to look at them right now because I was a yeller. I yelled a lot. And I one day had this realization, which I think they'd probably argue and say it took a really long time, but I think they were pretty young. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm becoming my mom. Like, I'm yelling all the time. That's not the kind of... I don't want to be remembered by my, to my children like that. I don't want them to look at me and only see yelling. And I made up my mind that I would say to them, okay, I'm going to ask you nicely. I might even ask you twice nicely, but after that you're getting yelling, so it's really up to you. You can have nice mom or you can have yelling mom, but it's up to you. But they're influenced by that. They are influenced by the way I interacted with them. And so don't ask them about that later because I don't want to hear what they have to say. <laughs> or just how we interact if we have a fight with our spouse or our significant other. And we're angry. The way we, the words we use in a conflict can change everything. It can go from, we just made up, and I'm glad we got that talk through, to, I don't want to talk to you for a week. I'm so mad at you. Words create our worlds. Some reactions that we might have are like this, coming out of relationships or interactions with people. It could be that we jump to conclusions and we assume the worst of people and in the situations. It could be that we build a case against people, we hold a grudge. So the moment that something happens, that grudge with that person will come right back again. You think you got it all handled, you think you put it underneath the rug, but then that's one thing gets triggered. Like say, say that you were left out for a while and then suddenly this girl, I'm thinking of high school people, you're best friends with this girl now, you're part of the in-clan, and then suddenly you find out that everybody went to a party and you weren't invited. And that whole grudge comes back because we didn't settle it right then and there. Maybe you take things personally and you get easily offended. I find myself sometimes getting easily offended. Not so much at work or with people that I don't know, but I jump to conclusions about my family and my kids and what they think. And I'm easily offended. I have to fight it back and say, no, they didn't mean that. Unmet expectations leading angry blowouts or feeling disappointed or frustrated once again. All of the ways that we just, I listed out, that we respond impact the world around us. Words create our worlds. If we react to a such situation and it is just tense and angry, what does that do to the world around us? It reflects the temperature of our heart, how calm we are, how peaceful we are. I personally want to be more surrounded with things that remind me not to be that way. I like to be surrounded with words that are positive. And have you guys ever shopped out and you've seen, okay, now I'm going in the girl direction right now, but you buy word plaques for your house? If those are in your home, they make you feel good. They make you feel positive. If you were to be invited to Chris Arba's house, sorry, Chris, I just realized I made an open invitation. Um, if you were to go to Chris Arba's house, his house, the minute you walk in, there's scripture on the walls. There are plaques of just good things, good words, encouraging words. I personally like that. Now, my daughter, Jillian, she does not like that, and she's very adamant. I don't need a sign that tells me to relax. I don't need a sign that tells me to have joy, and I don't need to be told to believe because I already believe. And so at Christmas time, you got your signs out. So she is always coming home and going, Mom, not more word signs. But for me, it really encourages me. The words we surround ourselves will impact the world that we are creating. Here's the reality. We know this, and we know that there's only a thing that we have control of in those moments is ourselves and how we react. We can't control how people act. We can't control how people drive. The only thing that we control is our own response and our own reactions. And it may sound passive, but I believe it's far from the life that God desires for us. 
It's far too little to live in the world where our life is built on the complaints of others, that we're only just responding to things, the complaints of others. We're in reactionary mode. I think God has a greater purpose and a joy and a hope for us to believe in. And sometimes the words that we've been living by lately produces a world around us that we don't want. And if words truly do create worlds, then how are we letting words determine our directions and our decisions for our life? What words are we living by? What words are you living by? What words are you listening to about yourself or about a situation? What words may God have been speaking to you, but you haven't acknowledged that it's God speaking to you? When I read the stories in the Bible, it shows me over and over again that there's the same story that we see every day. We see it played out in every movie, every war movie, every romance movie, and it's a battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And every good movie points to this. So when we say the kingdom of this world, we mean our earthly world right here. But if you're new to thinking about Christianity and you're exploring, we live in two kingdoms, the spiritual world that we can't see and the physical world that we can see. And that's kind of a big deal to contemplate. So let's look at what Jesus had to say about that. In John 10.10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and have it to the full. And just to illustrate how I've read that verse so many times, and sometimes you can read a verse in the Bible and it jumps out at you differently. For some reason, the word only is what stood out to me. It was a reminder to me, there is only one purpose for the enemy of our lives, and we call him Satan or we call him the enemy, that he's against us, is to kill, steal, and destroy. And when I think about that, it makes me wonder, how do people decide that they want to believe and follow Satan? Like, why would anybody want to follow negativity in something that represents bad for you? I don't understand that. It seems so simple that we wouldn't want to do that. But he is what we call the ruler, lower R, of our kingdom. He has the influence us over here, but we never have to wonder who is going to win this battle. I don't want to create a fear mode right here. When I wasn't a believer, I used to wonder, okay, there's good and bad. We see the little illustration. I wonder who's going to win. I wonder who's going to win this one right now. And what I've learned and what God's word said is the battle's already been won. When Jesus died on the cross so that we could spend eternity with God, the battle was won. We don't have to wonder who has the most power. And when you think about eternity, it is really something we should be thinking about. Like there will be a time when we have to contemplate what is next. This is just a small blip that we're here, but we get a great world to be a part of, and we get the opportunity to change it. God wants us to, going back to that verse, he says he wants us to have life and have it to the full. There's that word again, full, an abundant life. God's saying my purpose is to give you richness, satisfying life, fullness of life. He doesn't want to take things away. People think that he just wants to make us not have any fun. He knows us. He knows what we like to have fun. He wants to guide us in and through that and into his purpose and plan for us. Well, let's look at what Hebrews 12, 26, 28 says. And this is a verse that's talking about the two kingdoms again. And it's saying that there's a shakable kingdom and an unshakable kingdom. So here's what it says. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, things of this world, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. 
Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I love that even in the Bible, it seems like, oh, the Bible is thee and thou. He puts it in quotes in case we don't get it. Once more, indicating removing what can be shaken. Like the Bible wants to be so clear about what it's saying. So he's saying, why would you want to be a part of a kingdom that is shakable and can fall? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of a kingdom that is unshakable? And how do we know it's unshakable? Because we know who God is. We know who he says he is. And as you accept him into your heart, you start to see the truth of that and how he moves in your life. The author isn't saying, he's saying, don't put your confidence in things that can be destroyed. Don't live your lives for only the things of this physical world. Instead, build your life on Christ in his unshakable kingdom. Paul, the apostle Paul in the Bible also said this, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. When you hear that in the Bible, when it refers to the flesh, it's just talking about who we are as physical people in this world. There are things that we, are, that we want, and they aren't always good for us. And when we give in to the things that are bad for us, it's usually referred to as a craving of the flesh. And our tendency and our impulse and our gut is critically kind of affected by something that Paul calls sin. And if you're not familiar with the word sin, we probably are because most people do, but if you don't know what it really means, it just means anything that doesn't line up with the perfect will of God. Anything that isn't perfect like God, which means it's all of us, because nobody is perfect like God. And here's what God said, I can't look on imperfection, I can't look on sin. But he made a way. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he took on our sin, so we are pure and holy and can go to heaven to be with God. It's that simple. That's why he did it. The temptation of that sin only promises what it can never deliver, but God says when we choose him, he can overcome sin. That's why I love what Jesus says in John 10, 10, that there's this other kingdom, but I have come to give you life and life to the fullest and life abundantly. And I bet by nodding of heads, there's not one person who doesn't want a full life. Isn't that what we strive for here while we're on earth? Paul even said it this way. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That means even though we may live in a shaken kingdom, we don't have to be defined to live by it. Jesus offers a different way, a full way, and God offers to make us new. So what we're moving into is what if, where we're going with this message, what if we started to think and look differently about the world that surrounds us? What if the way we evaluate who we are and how we interact in it is different? What if there's a different way to look at things? He's saying God offers to make us new. He gives us a new identity. And I will tell you that at the core of almost all the things we struggle with is not knowing who we are. We are always mostly striving to become someone, to get somewhere, to do something. But we don't know who we are because we don't know that our identity is in Jesus Christ. And when we get to that place of knowing that he created us and how we're wired, we don't have to strive and compare ourselves. Comparison is just so hard. What God said is, hey, I made you the way you are. This is the lane I want you to be in. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Stay in your lane and do what I gave you to do because I made you that way. I know what's going to drive you. I know what's going to get you excited. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Your identity is me. We don't have to worry about being offended and not knowing who we are. He offers to speak to us, guide us, and remind us of what truly matters and what we were created for. I love that. It says he wants to guide us. 
He's like wants to be our co-pilot or mostly we should just let him be in the driver's seat and not even try to drive this plane at all because he will take us to places that we would never even imagine that we could go. Well, let's look at Romans 12, 1, 2 because we're thinking about now if we're going to change the way that we think about things, the way that we look at the world, the way that we interact in the world, decisions that we make, how do we do that? Here's the scripture from Romans 12, 1, 2. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true nature. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is, right there. That's how we're transformed, by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So to summarize that verse, it says, we're going to renew your mind, we're going to renew your heart, we're going to renew the truths, we're going to renew the things that lead you to the reactions that you have, to the way that you react is different. We're going to change it. We're going to do it differently. When we renew things like, like this, when we look at things differently, we're retraining our mind in the way that we think. Not because we need to be brainwashed. He's a loving God. He's going to take us to great places. He doesn't have to arm twist us. But we want to know what does God think about that. If we want to know what God thinks, we have to renew our mind and look at the way God speaks to us and what he guides us into. So instead of reacting the way we have always reacted when we process things, how would it look if we reacted differently in a pace with God? Like I said, I believe that words create worlds. So let's talk about a world that we want to create. If we could renew our minds and respond differently and react differently in all the relationships and conversations that we have, what would that look like? Well, our CEO, Kyle Neighbors, he's like the head of all of our Kensington. He has these five principles that are up on his wall. And I, th- I find that when you've got a one, two, three, four, five thing, sometimes it's easy to remember things like that. So I thought they'd be perfect to use to teach from today. <clears throat> there are five principles that are worth considering that are worth considering for leading for our lives. Sorry, got to take a drink here. I'm losing my voice. Can you tell? Don't worry, I can last. Yes, my kids, I never lost my voice. <laughs> All right, so the first one is manage expectations. Normally what we would think is do more, be more and expect more. That's the way the world wants us to think. But what if we thought, manage our expectations? What does God expect of us and from others? When our, when our expectations are out of alignment from ourselves, it leads to disappointment. When it's out of alignment, when our expectations for others are out of line, it leads to disappointment. Human striving, and something that Danny Cox, our Troy teacher last night said, destination sickness. And I thought, well, what does that mean, destination sickness? And it means when... You're trying, you've got a goal and you're trying to get to it and you're striving and striving and striving. And then you get to that destination. And you're like, if I only get here, it'll be like this. And it's not like that. Okay, well now, if I only could just do this, if I could only just be that. And every time that you get to those destinations, you're never satisfied. You still want more, you want something to be different, or you want, you want something else, you're never satisfied. It's destination sickness. You get to the desti- destination and you're still sick because it wasn't what you really needed in the first place. God sent his son Jesus to be our savior because he, he knew that in our own striving, we would fall short. But what if we invited God into this process? What does God expect and require of us? Let's look at John 6, 27 through 29 says, do not work for food that spoils, 
but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Keep going. Then they asked him, what must, we do, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe that Jesus Christ was his son, he was sent to die on the cross. That is all we have to do. That's it. We don't have to do works. We don't have to be this good, that good, that bad, that good. It doesn't work like that. We don't weigh out our goods versus our bads. We just have to believe that he did this. But why is that so hard? Why is that such a big, heavy decision for people to make? I think that I can relate to it because when I was not a believer, which was about 15 years ago, I didn't believe that the Bible was the word of God. I thought it was just written by men, not written by men inspired by God, which I now know to be true. It's a fascinating journey where the Bible came from. But I just didn't believe it. But here's one simple truth. If you're in that place of not believing that the Bible is the word, the word of God, mankind, womankind, would never have written such a simple solution. That is not the story that they would have came up with. They would have came up with when you do all this and then you do all that and then you do all this, maybe you can get to heaven. Right? Isn't that our human nature? We want a to-do list. You've got to do this. You're not good enough. You don't get in. God says everybody is welcome and everybody is welcome. All they have to do is believe that I sent my son to die for them. So simple. And yet we make it so complicated. It's so simple. He doesn't want to force himself on us. And I think that we have to look at things differently. The most important expectations to focus upon is God's desire for our life because we can trust and know that he has a great life available to us when we say, come on, God, I want to do this with you and not on my own. I'm not going to make my own New Year's Eve resolution, New Year's resolution list. I'm going to invite God in and see what he has to say about it. His expectations, they help us to figure out our priorities. Now, when I say, like, manage your expectations and put everything in line, it sort of sounded like, I'm not saying don't dream. I'm not saying don't have goals. Like, God wants us to dream big. He created us to want to dream big. But he wants to be a part of the pathway that gets us to those dreams. This is not a, hey, just keep it down here and God will supply for you. No, it's a dream big. I want to be a part of all that you want to do. And if you want to go in a direction I don't want you to go, I'll gently show you, gosh, I got this for you. And said, that's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with him. We can manage our expectations. We just have to remember that it's what God desires for us that is ultimately the best plan for us. So let's look at number two. We could assume the worst or believe the best. We have a choice as how we view people and we view situations. And what this means is, if you're like me, and I think most of you are, when we get into a situation where we feel like we've been wronged or somebody said something or something happened at work or something happened in your family or a friend did this or that to you, the first thing that we do is we go to the worst case scenario. That's just our nature. That's how we've been raised. That's what we see on social media. The first natural thing we do is to assume the worst. But what if we assume the best? What if we said, oh, no, that person wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They couldn't have meant that. How many text messages have you read? How many emails have you read where if you just change the tone of what you read, it could be so kind. And yet we, we go to the negative right off the get-go. But Paul said in the book of Philippians, consider 
others better than yourself. When we assume the worst people, we limit their potential. We don't get people the benefit of the doubt. What would it look like if we instead assume the worst, we assume the best? Think of those conversations that maybe actually weren't even what you thought they were because you went to the worst, but what if we just always gave people the benefit of the doubt? What if we just always assumed it couldn't be that? Now, I'm not saying be naive. Like just, oh, everybody's good and everybody's great and everybody's wonderful because we know that the reality is that isn't true. We're given discernment about things. We need to be smart about things. But I'm saying in your general everyday stuff, when you're conversing and texting and emailing and talking, when things happen and it, and it hurts your feelings or, it, or you think they said something bad, what if you believe the best of the person instead of the worst? What would your conversations look like? It would be drastically different. That isn't the way of the world at all. It is never to believe the best. The next one is keep short accounts. You could build a case against somebody or you could keep short accounts. Often under the auspices of getting along or keeping the peace, we just don't want to bring up things that bother us. We sweep them under the rug. How many of you would be labeled as, I don't like conflict? You don't have to raise your hand because I know it's at least half of you because <laughs> that's how we all are, right? When we assert, <clears throat> but we got to remember if we don't take care of things when they happen, it builds up and it becomes something that can trigger bad conversations, reactions out of you, you would respond using words that you don't want to use. So let's look at what Matthew 5, 23, 24 says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift out there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. So he's saying, if there's stuff going on in here and you got some angst and things just aren't right, don't bring me my offering. Go back and take care of things and make them right first. Jesus is often asked, how many times should we forgive someone? Because that's what this is talking about. Making right is saying forgiveness. Jesus is asked, he says, seven times do we forgive? And no, the Bible says 70 times seven, which means infinitely over and over you continue to forgive a person. Now, that deserves its whole other teaching, but just in the moment, forgiveness does not mean forgetting it just means not allowing it to get you all worked up again. There are certain things where forgiving a person, people feel like they, they're saying, if I forgive them, I'm saying what they did was right. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore because it's tearing me up. This is what Max Lucado said about forgiveness. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. Because we get so worked up about it. And I'd like to share with you real quick a story of forgiveness in my life that's really worked out to be something quite re remarkable, I think. Um, I am divorced, and I'm now remarried. So I'm divorced nine years now, and my ex-husband's name is Tom. And my relationship with my ex-husband reflects forgiveness from both of us. When I first realized I was going to have to get divorced, I felt like the God very clearly showed me, you will not do divorce the way the world does divorce. It's not going to be messy and it's not going to be ugly and you're not going to be able to allow yourself to go down that path of nasty words and things like that. So we, so we have worked through in these nine years just building a relationship where it's amicable because that's what our kids deserve. And once you can forgive somebody, they, they just don't upset you anymore. And the same for him. And here's what recently happened. My daughter Jillian had to spend five days in the hospital at U of M over Thanksgiving. And that meant that her dad and I and her were going to spend a lot of time together. And my husband was going to be there and the kids were all going to come and visit. Now, this is not a normal situation, right? And I began to pray, Lord, I, I'm praying for supernatural healing. I'm praying for the doctors to be amazing, give them wisdom. It'd be really nice to have a private room because we're going to have a lot of people. We got one, by the way. 
And then I threw in, well, it'd be really cool if my husband Jim and Tom would just, it would be amicable. They are amicable, but maybe they could see each other a little differently and we could get along. And once the time was done, I was able to look back and go, oh my gosh, like there was just no angst. Do you know how you can spend time with somebody and they can just get you worked up? They say something, you're like, oh, there he goes again. Like that was not present at all. In fact, I felt myself serving him. Did you want some water? Can I get you a blanket? You look cold. How about some coffee? I'll make a run down there for you. It just came so naturally. And he actually, I'm making myself out really good here. Ex-wife of the year. But no, Tom was the same way. I got to give him kudos. If Jim wasn't around, he was like, hey, I'm going down to the cafeteria. Can I get you some food? Do you want me to walk you out to your car? Did you need something out of your car? It was like, how could that be? Because of forgiveness. Because God moves in us and allows us to forgive people. This is a picture of forgiveness that all of us should strive for. The next one is move in the opposite spirit. Don't please yourself. Move in the opposite spirit. And we'll look at Galatians 5. 16 through 17 and 22 through 26. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's that reference again about your body and the things that you just want from the physical world. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want to do. That sort of sounds like nobody's going to have any fun. I know that's what unbelievers think. Like God just, everything is against the spirit. And that is not what it means. But the things that are unhealthy for us, that's what the Spirit will show us is not good. And one of the things, and it will change other things about you as you accept Christ into your life. One of the first things that changed in my life is that my language changed when I became a believer. About 15 years ago, I would not say that I was a potty mouth girl, but that F word flew out if I was telling a joke or maybe I dropped something on my toe. Or maybe just some other little inconsequential swear words, but I swore and I gossiped. I talked about people just like other people do. And God just put it on me. I didn't want to say those words anymore. And I came to realize there's an expectation of who we are if we believe in the Lord. We, we should not talk like that. I see Facebook of people that I know are Christians, and the F word is everywhere. And I, I just find that really kind of confusing. There should be a gentleness about us, not a harshness about us. So anyways, that really was something that uh, the fleshly thing, God took it right away. Along with gossip. He challenged me about gossip. And then I thought, well, if I just sit here and listen, that's not really the same thing as participating, is it? And it was like, get out of the room. You are agreeing with it whether you say anything or not. God can move us into places. Because really, should we be gossiping? No, we shouldn't be gossiping. There's nothing good to come out of that. But it's not just about behavior modification. It's about character modification, formation, growing in our character. So finish out the verse, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passionate desires. So we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying another one, one another. So in a nutshell, the world says just do whatever you want to do. But the Lord knows that's not good for us. And we know that too. And it could just be something simple. It could be you struggle with, I just want one more bite. I just want one more drink. I just want one more smoke. I just want one more click. And God doesn't want us to live in, in bondage to those things. That's why our Crave series is going to start next week. We're going to address how to not be living in tied and in bondage to those things that control our lives in a way that is unhealthy. 
So the last one is live with an unoffendable heart. I find this really hard. My feelings get hurt easily. I don't know about you. You can take things personally or you can live with an unoffendable heart. Now, there are some English teachers out here and I know the word offendable is not really a word in the English language. But forgive us because you know what it means when we say live with an unoffendable heart. It's saying it doesn't, you don't need to be right all the time. That relationship is more important than being right. Right can equal wrong sometimes when we're just determined to be right. We take things personal most of the time when it doesn't need to be personal at all. It was never intended to be that way. So look what God has to say about that. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He's saying when we're easily offended, our identity is not rooted in Jesus Christ. Like I mentioned earlier, when we are easily offended, it's because we're trying to be something that we're not. We're comparing ourselves to other people, and we don't know who God created us to be. We're not happy with the gifts that we've been given. We're not happy with the choices that we've been given. So we, we are easily offended, and we're called to live with an unoffendable heart. And when you are rooted in Jesus Christ and you know who your identity is, you're just, there's a peace about you. You don't have to be unhappy because somebody else got something that you didn't get or got the promotion at the job or has a bigger house or all those things that can stir up envy in us because we're offended. Live with an unoffendable heart. So let's just summarize these, last, these five things real quick before we move on to the next last moment. We're going to manage expectations this year. What does God expect from me to surrender and trust him? Believe the best and see people as God sees people. If you saw that video with Martin Luther at Christmas time, I thought it was amazing in his speech. He said, God puts people around me and I don't have to like them, but he does call me to love them. It's really hard to love people that you don't like, but God is saying, look at people the way he sees them. He loves them all. Keep short accounts. Go right away and make sure nothing would create a heart of stone. Live with an undefendable heart. Have our identity in Christ and move in the opposite spirit of the way that the world leaves. So right now we're going to take you into a place where if words create worlds, we want to have God give you a word that can create your world for 2018. So if you got a Sharpie, you should have all gotten a Sharpie when you came in. If you didn't, raise up your hand and the ushers will bring one to you. So here's what's going to happen in this moment. You're going to watch a video with some ideas about how to get a word from God. The band is going to play. We're going to take the offering. We're going to pray. There's no pressure here, though. Don't let yourself move into the mode, oh, no, what if I don't hear from God? If it doesn't happen today, it'll happen another day. Don't worry about that. You might go home and read something. Maybe you open your Bible and you'll see something there and you'll know that's my word. Or maybe you'll be like I did last year and I saw the word joy everywhere I went and I knew joy was my word. But before we, and then we're going to watch this video, but before we do the video, we're going to go ahead and take our offering. So we'll invite the offers to come to, uh, ushers to come down for the offering. If you're part of Kensington, you've heard this before. This is not a moment for people who are brand new, but it is a moment for people who are part of Kensington to give and say thank you. We say thank you for trusting us with your money. If you are new to Kensington and your guest this moment is not for you, please just let it pass by. But we actually don't want something from you if you're brand new. We want to give you a gift. So come on out to the starting table right outside those doors. They're wearing orange shirts out there. We have a gift for you, and you can ask some questions about Kensington and who we are. It's a great way to get started here. It's a great first step.
So I want to pray for a moment before we watch this video. I want to pray that God is going to change the way that we react to people, that God will change the words that we use with people, change the way we see ourselves. Give us not a laundry list of things to change about ourselves for 2018, but give us one single word that we could focus on and apply to those principles and change our world. So, Father God, thank you for this time together with everyone here, Lord. We're about to um, just see some ways that God, that you gave people words to change their lives, Lord. And I ask that for each person here that you would um, strongly just give us that word that you want us to focus on, God. Help us to know the way that words can change our worlds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here I want you to watch this video where you'll see some people who diligently prayed and God gave them some words to write on their hand. The Lord kind of revealed to me my word at the end of a season of dryness in my life. That's when he kind of came in and just hushed a lot of my fears saying, don't worry, don't fear, you're going to be my witness in 2018. My word for 2018 is witness. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm free to live my life feeling oppressed and depressed by what others think of me, or I'm free to choose to believe what God says about me. My word for 2018 is free. I just recently started Claimer Campus, which is a prayer movement with all the high schoolers. It's been growing rapidly. It's just going to change the lives of so many people. It's going to be huge. My word for 2018 is unforgettable. I chose hope for my word. Hope is the only thing that allows me to continue to live this life. It's the reason why I have joy in my heart. I realize even if I go through trials or tribulations or struggles or make mistakes or fall, my hope is still in Christ alone. My word for 2018 is hope. My word for 2018 is intentional. I would like to be intentional with my relationships, with the Lord, with my friends, and with my family. I'd like to be intentional with my time. And if I am intentional, I believe that I can make a difference. My word for 2018 is intentional. When I reflected on 2017, I don't think I experienced a lot of peace. I think following Jesus, we're supposed to have abundant blessings, and peace is one of those. So my word for 2018 is peace. It's really kind of remarkable to think that maybe one word could change the trajectory of our lives, and one word could change our worlds. I want to share with you what my word is, as you think about your word. My word is enjoy. And when it was time for me to prepare for this message and think about giving this message, I felt like the God, God said to me, I want you to enjoy this. And what I realized is often he gives me things to do, events to plan and things to do, and I enjoy the process, but then I get to the event and I don't enjoy it. And I found myself sometimes teaching on Sunday thinking, oh, only one service to go, only two services to go, and I don't enjoy all the effort I put into it. And I didn't feel that way today at all. I just want you to know I really enjoyed being here, and it's just been a blast. So I think that God, he can move in one word. I can take this word and I can apply it to those five principles. I don't have to think about all kinds of words, just one word. You think of your word. If you don't find a word today, don't worry about it. You will. As you listen to this song, see what God has to say to you. Galatians 4 says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are now much better off than slaves until they grow up. 
until they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, that you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The next few moments, we're going to sing uh, songs that declare that we're no longer a slave to fear and we're no longer a victim. And I just love um, what these songs say because they talk about the truth that we just read in Galatians, how everything that may be holding us back or whether your word is something like breaking through, um, whether it be fear that had you bound, these songs that we're going to sing are a true declaration of the freedom that we receive when we give it over to Christ. Because we're no longer a slave to that. We have since become an heir to what he has to give us. Sure in my brain. 
says I am. He is who He says He is. I'm defined by all His promises, shaped by every word He says. So I am who He says I am. He is who He says He is.
fearful in this world that we live in and I love that imagery that says I split the sea so you could walk right through it that's what God's inviting us into to walk right into 2018 as a child of God inviting him in to give us a word to focus on to do be different people and change our world that's what he has for us if you didn't get your word today I invite you to come down front with our prayer team and pray with them they're always down front after every service to my left and to your right Be persistent and be pursuing if you didn't get it. And if you did, wear that out there and see what people ask you about them and you can tell them what it means. We'll see you next week for Crave, our new series. Chris will be back to teach. Have a happy, happy New Year's.